Well, good morning. Welcome again to Fellowship of Grace. Glad that you're with us this morning. And it's just a blessing to be with you. And it's really a privilege that most pastors probably don't get to occasionally to sit up here and to look out and watch you all sing and worship. It's, you know, most of the time if we're up in the front row, we've got to kind of do this kind of thing. We want to see any of that and kind of get in into that. And so it's really exciting to sit up here every once in a while and just see you all and be blessed by your singing and your worshiping. Thank you. And uh, so I, I just, you're a blessing to me. So I just wanted to thank you. We are going to begin a, a series uh, today uh, for nine weeks called Fundamentals of the Faith, Doctrines and Disciplines. Now I know what some of you are thinking immediately. Oh my gosh, these things again? Doctrines and disciplines of the Christian faith? And th- now listen, uh, when, whenever you see a successful sports team, uh, if you talk to the coach and you say, Coach, what, what are some of the key things that make you successful? He'll say, well, we focus on the fundamentals. We focus, we always come back to the fundamentals. If a football team really wants to be serious, they got to know how to tackle. they got to know how to block. Oh, yeah, they got to know how to run 40 yards and catch a pass and all the cool stuff. But if they can't block and if they can't do the things that are necessary to make that play happen, they won't be successful. Folks, it's that way for us in the Christian faith. If we uh, start thinking about all the things that are on the fringe of Christianity, trying to figure out how and what day Jesus is going to come back, and we spend all of our time doing that, we're going to forget how to block. We're going to forget how to tackle. And we're going to forget the fundamentals. Now, some of you are also probably thinking immediately, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to sit through another one of these sermon series on doctrines and disciplines. I've heard a thousand sermons on these kinds of things before. But remember... Uh, the goal to coming to church is not to necessarily gain new information. I always uh, uh, am frustrated uh, when somebody uh, will say to me, Hey, Pastor, we've been here for a while and we're leaving Fellowship of Grace because we're just not learning anything new in the services. Folks, it's not about you coming and getting all new information every week. That's, that's not what church is about. Okay? Remember, uh, the paid professionals are not the ministers. We are the ones that are supposed to be preparing you all and equipping you all to be the ministers. We aren't the blockers. We aren't the tacklers. We are the coaches. And so uh, until you are blocking well, you are tackling well in your Christian life all of the time, and even if you are, it doesn't hurt to say, hey, don't forget the fundamentals, guys. Don't forget the fundamentals. Today, we're going to be talking about salvation and assurance. And maybe you say, well, I don't have any problem with those things. Let me ask you this question. Do you feel adequately prepared in any given moment to share your faith with others? Uh, If somebody says to you, you know, that's really egotistical of you to say you know you're going to heaven. That's just the most egotistical thing I've ever heard. Do you know how to explain to somebody why that's not egotistical? Do you know how to explain to them, hey, this has nothing to do with me. Let me share with you why I know that. Not think that, but know that. So maybe God hasn't brought you here today to learn something new. Perhaps he did, though. But maybe God wants to just remind you of the fundamentals so that this week you'll block better. So that this week you will be able to do the things necessary to see God work in your life and others in a way that will be an incredible blessing to you and to him. And so let's begin talking about salvation and assurance this morning. And the first principle I want you to see is this. Faith in Jesus brings about salvation. Faith in Jesus brings about salvation. Now listen, as I think about doctrines, there are, you know, if you look at our website, I think we've got like uh, 
uh, don't test me, maybe 15, 16, 17 statements of faith. These are the hills to die on, okay? Uh, there, there are a lot of other hills we don't die on. There are a lot of other hills. In fact, one of the uh, uh, doctrines we're going to talk about later in this series is liberty in Christ, liberty in Christ. And so uh, we're not all going to believe exactly the same way about everything. In fact, the reality is we probably don't have everything right, just so you know. <laughs> Everything about everything, we probably don't have right. But listen, on the core things, we got to be right. When it comes to what does it take for a person to know and have a relationship with God and to go to heaven, we better be 100% right on that. And I think we are. And I don't think it's, it's something that we have to, uh, you know, God is vague about some things. I admit that. The Bible is not the answer to every question. The Bible is not the full mind of God. No books would ever be able to contain the full mind of God. But it is enough information that he has given us so that we can know him and have a relationship with him and have an eternal relationship with him by going to heaven. And so today we're going to talk about this topic, salvation and assurance, and I want us to see that faith uh, in Jesus brings about salvation. Let's look at the pieces of this because this is the gospel. And by the way, if you say, you know, my friend, I just don't know if he's a Christian because, you know, he says that, Maybe those, uh, those six days that Jesus made the world, maybe they weren't literal days. And he thinks maybe they were like a thousand years. of. So I don't know that he's even a Christian. Listen, folks, you don't have to be right about that to be a Christian. But there are some things you have to be right about. There are some things you have to know for sure. And that is what we call the gospel. The way that we begin a relationship with God, we have to be right on. And so we're going to look at the scripture, and this is the gospel. So when you talk with people about the truth of God, and they want to get you into all kinds of other debates and and conversations and everything, just come back to this. This is the gospel. This is how we know if we and others know Jesus Christ. And it starts here. Everyone sins. Everyone sins. Look what it says in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's pretty simple. That's pretty simple. Uh, we all have sinned. And if anybody thinks they're not a sinner, I would ask them this simple question. Have you ever in your entire life been disobedient to your parents? And if you say no, let's call your folks and and just see if they have that same opinion, okay? So the reality is, and and I know that word sin kind of, people are like, ooh, that just doesn't set well with me. I, I understand. But theologically, the reality is we're all sinners. We can't get away from that. And, and by the way, one of the things I want to do today is kind of show you how I draw this out for people. Because when I'm a visual, very visual person, in fact, uh, I'm looking around the room here, several of you have seen me draw this out and shared the God, when I shared the gospel with you. But I just draw a little box over here and say, okay, mankind's over here, and we're all a bunch of sinners. Okay, so just remember that. Man's over here, and we agree that we're all sinners. The next part of the gospel is that sin separates us from God. We can't get out of that fact. Look what it says in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 it says for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord now for those who are old enough to have a job it's pretty simple to understand what wages are wages are payment for what I deserve the reality is when we all go to our jobs if we do our job well our employer owes us they owe us in fact it's actually illegal for them not to pay us They owe us for the hours and the time that we have worked for the job that we have done. And so here we see this word wages. And what it's saying is, listen, the payment, 
the amount that you have earned, what God owes you, is death. So for our sinfulness, listen, if you want to say, you know what, God owes me. You can say that. Hey, God, God owes me. You know what God owes me? Death. Eternal separation from him. That's what he owes me. That's what he should have to pay me. And so I draw a little box over here and say, God's perfect. Mankind's over here. We're sinners. God's perfect over here. And there's a big gap between us. We also see that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Think about those two words. We'll come back to them in a minute. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Parents, let me ask you this question. Why do you love your kids? Why do you love them? It's because they're obedient? It's because they get good grades? Is it because they do right all the time? No, certainly not. Why do you love your kids? Because they're your kids. That's it. There's no reason. They don't earn that love. We just give it to them freely, right? It's the same way with God. God freely gives us grace, and it's grace that saves us. But I said we come back to those two words, through faith. I want you to picture in your mind a gas pump. Okay? Gasoline is what makes our car go, but the pump, the hose, is what gets it from the tank in the ground into our car so we can use it. Grace is what saves us. God's uh, just perfect, unwarranted, unmerited love saves us. But how do we get it from God's heart into our tank? It's through faith. So picture faith. Faith is like a gas hose or a gas pump. Uh, grace gets brought to us through that faith. Faith does not save us. Having faith does not save us. Having faith is a way to receive God's grace, which does save us. And then we see here a very important part of this passage. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Why? So nobody can boast about it. Listen. If there were a five-step plan, and we said, hey, listen, you need to, you need to come to church uh, every week for three months, you need to take the Lord's Supper, you need to get baptized, uh, you need to start tithing, and you need to sign up for a, uh, a ministry team, and then you'll know Jesus, then you'll be saved. Guess what we could do? We could say, hey, I, went, I did the class. I went through the process. I, I, I started coming to church. I, I got on a ministry team. I took the Lord's Supper. And I, I did all my stuff, and I got saved. Look at me. I did it. Yay, me. God's saying, no, 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 folks. It's not about you. You can't do anything. You can't add to what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant a couple of things by that. One, one thing he meant was, hey, this payment's done. Payment for your sin is over. But what he meant was, hey, this job is done. It is finished. All of the work, all of the work that had to be done for our salvation was finished and completed right there. You can do nothing to get it except get a hose to get from the gas tank to your, your tank but it's like, and I, I say this to people, I say, if I give you my phone, when does it become yours? And they'll say, well, I guess when you give it to me. Oh, really? So if you get up from this place, you get up from Panera and you walk out and you leave it sitting on the table, it's yours? Really? I would say it's probably not yours. In fact, somebody else will probably come along and take it. So it's yours when you reach out 
and you touch it, when you pick it up. In that moment, it transfers ownership and becomes ours. It's the same way uh, with Jesus. He has done everything that needs to be done for our salvation. All we need to do is pick it up. There's not a list of things to do. Why? Because he doesn't ever want us to boast about, hey, look what I did. We should always boast about, hey, look what God did. Look what Jesus did. That's what we should be boasting about. And so uh, in my little you know, drawing thing, uh, I, I draw it out like this. You know, here's what man does to try and reach God. You know, man goes to church and gets all religious. We'll start giving money and be generous to people and say, oh, everybody look at me, how generous I'm being. They'll be good, and they'll try to do good deeds. They'll maybe be baptized or take the Lord's Supper or, or go through a list of, of ritualistic things or ordination things to, to somehow make themselves feel like uh, something took place. But you see in the drawing that all of those things fail to cross that bridge. All those things fail to cross that bridge. And that's because Jesus died to pay for our sin. He didn't give us a list of things to do. He died to pay for our sins. A lot of people don't use this verse, but I want to encourage you to put this verse down in your Bible or wherever you have notes uh, to share the gospel with people. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, you've got a lot of hymns in there. It sounds like a you know, hymn, hymn sing-along or something. Let's, uh, let's, let's just kind of re-look at this for a minute. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. What he's saying there is, listen, God sent Jesus down here, uh, and he lived a completely perfect life. We have this separation between us and God because we're sinners and he's perfect. If he led us into heaven, we would pollute it and destroy it. But Jesus is perfect because he was a son of God. He came from God and he lived a perfect and completely uh, a sinless life. And I like this verse because I, I share with people that this is kind of an a, uh, exchange process. Jesus came and took credit for our sinfulness, and he gives us credit for his righteousness. With children, I actually get two sheets crumple up the edge. We're disobedient to mom and dad. We look like this, and we do this. And by the you know, time I'm done, the thing's a big wad of paper. So, you know, we try to be good then, don't we? And try to you know, flatten that paper out, but it always looks kind of cruddy after that. But then Jesus came to the world, and he lived a perfect life. I'll take another sheet of paper. And here's this perfect life without a wrinkle or a blemish in it. And what Jesus is saying is, I gave my life to you so we could trade places. I'll take credit for your cruddy old sinful life that looks like this, and I'll give you credit for this perfect piece of paper so you can be God's righteousness. That's what this verse is saying. And then, of course, by faith, we can receive the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life in John 3.16, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I Go ahead and draw a bridge over that. Say, this is the bridge, this is the way that we can come to know God by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. Now, when we talk about that, folks, it's not just a belief in our heads. It is, a, it is putting all of our eggs in one basket. I remember a comedian 
in the 1980s, a Christian community. His name was Mike Warnke, and uh, a really hilarious guy. But he uh, was, was drafted around the time of the um, uh, Vietnam War. And above everything else, man, he did not want to be a Marine. So he actually enlisted in the Navy. He said, I figured if I died, I'd die clean. They'd put me in the water, you know. So, uh, so he was in the Navy, and he became a corpsman in the Navy. Now, if any of you know anything about the military, when the Marines go to the front line, they don't have their own corpsman. Guess who they use? The Navy. Yeah, that's right. So he got drafted. He was on the front lines for two years dragging guys off the line. Well, he was an atheist before he went to Vietnam. And one of his buddies saw him two years after he'd done a couple of different tours in Vietnam, and he was wearing a Christian cross and a Buddha, and he had on a Jewish star and just everything. And his friend goes, holy moly, what happened to you? He goes, yeah, I believe. Whatever it is, I believe. I've seen it all now. Whatever it is out there, I believe it. Whatever it is. Folks, we can't do that. We, we, we don't just believe whatever's out there. And, of course, he was trying to make a joke, but, folks, we've got to put all our eggs in one basket. Listen. If Jesus isn't the Savior of the world, I am in deep trouble. Because all my eggs are in his basket. All of them. I, I don't, I'm not holding something out for another way. They're all in his basket. I put my faith and trust in Jesus to save me. And if he's not who he said he was, if he didn't really raise from the dead, as both the Bible say and I think even history proves, I am just really in deep trouble. But I think it did happen that way. But folks, we need, to, we need to hold on to this. We need to embrace this. We need to understand this. We need to live this. We need to speak this. We need to think this. This needs to permeate out of us like sweat coming out of our glands. This is the gospel. This is the only way that people can know God. I hear things slipping into our conversations sometimes and coming out of us sometimes. Even when we know the right thing, these, these ideas kind of slip out of us sometimes. Like maybe there's, a, maybe there's a scale in the sky, and if I, just, if I just do enough good stuff to outweigh my bad stuff, it'll all be okay. Folks, that's false. If you believe that, the Bible says you're going to remain lost. You're going to remain far from God. Sometimes we think, hey, if, you know, all ways lead to heaven. And if you have this bumper sticker on your car, I apologize. It, you might be saying, you might be saying, hey, we need to get along with each other. We, we need to coexist on the planet. We need to be okay with each other in the sense that we don't, uh, you know, hurt each other or treat each other badly. If that's what you mean by this, great. But if you mean, hey, all, all religions are okay, they're all, they're all equal, they're all leading to God, folks, it's not okay. It is not Okay. People will ask me sometimes, Michael, I hear you say these things. And when you say that, it sounds like you're saying all Muslims are going to hell. I, I try very hard not to ever say anybody's doing anything because I don't know a person's heart. But here's, what I, here's how I would say it. Anybody who believes the Muslim faith is still separated from God. Along with about 50 other religions that I could mention right here. And some of them have churches really close to here. Folks, all, all, all ways don't lead to God. Always do not lead to God. We cannot let that get up. And here's the worst one that slips out of our heads. Bad people go to hell and good people go to heaven. Folks, that's just not true. That is just not true. There's going to be some surprises on both sides, and if you don't think so, you read your Bible. There are going to be people who have been leaders in churches 
that will find out on the last day that being a good person and trying to get other people to be good people isn't enough. And there are going to be some people who gave their life to Christ in all sincerity, have struggled with addictions or problems or issues their whole life. They'll die hoping above hope that God will have mercy on them and you'll find them in heaven. It's not about what we do only. We're going to talk about how that is affected by it. But it's not done about what we do. It's about who God is and who Jesus is. And Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. And the picture he's painting there, folks, is that same gas pump. He's saying, here's God over here, here's you, and by the way, the only way to get through the hose, I'm the hose. He's saying, I'm the hose, and the only way to get to God is through me. That's it. There is no other way. And folks, we have got to be solid on this. We have got to think this. We have got to say these things. We have got to, I mean, I don't mean to be rude or ugly. I'm just saying this has got to permeate our thinking. Because we have a tendency sometimes to think, you know, I've never shared the gospel with my, my friend at work because he's such a good guy. You know, my Mormon neighbors are such sweet people. They're such moral people. I don't need to tell them about Jesus. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Folks, we got to get this solid in our heads. we got to block this. we we, we got to have this blocking down in our lives. Not just in our heads, but it's got to come out of us. It's got to come out of everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that we talk, all of it. Okay? So let's just be clear that faith in Jesus brings about salvation. Then we also see that salvation is both a decision and an experience. It's a decision by faith, which we've talked about, but it is also an experience through a transformed life. It is an experience through a transformed life. Now, our church is very eclectic. And what I, what I, what I don't mean by that is we have instruments here that plug in. That's not what I mean. Think about that for a little bit. It's eclectic in the sense that we have people that come from all walks of life that come to our church. That's really, see, that's one of those things that's really funny in my head, but when it comes out, it's just not that funny. Okay? Uh, so, so we have people that come from a lot of different uh, faiths, denominations, that kind of thing. Now, we are uh, a Baptist church, and, and many of our people come with Baptist backgrounds. And Baptists are really good about emphasizing the decision, and we really kind of stink at, at emphasizing the experience of a transformed life. We have a tendency to say, well, yeah, I don't do much for Jesus. I don't really live like a Christian. But when I was 10 years old, I went to this camp, and uh, they had this big uh, meeting, and I, I, I prayed at the end, the prayer on the back of the track, and that's when I was saved. And So it's all covered. It's all good. Yeah, nothing's really changed much for the next 40 years, but I prayed that prayer when I was 10, so it's all okay. Folks, we've got to be careful about that. We've got to be careful about that. Because I, I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where somebody comes forward, receives Christ, and then they go back to their old way of life. Their life is transformed. Their life is totally different. And this is what I compare it to. A couple of years ago, I went uh, skydiving with Mark Thompson, a guy in our church. And it's both a decision and an experience. Okay? There's a decision. Oh, first I want to read this passage to you. Then I'll, I'll show you some pictures. Well, listen to this passage right here. Look what it says. What good is it, my brothers? This is uh, James. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, does not have works. 
Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe and shudder. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is also dead. What James is saying here, folks, is look, yeah, yeah, we receive Christ through faith. There is a moment in time that the Bible talks about where we pass from death to life. In this second, we are separated from God and we are bound to hell. In the moment that we accept what Jesus did on the cross as payment for our sins, and we said, yes, I receive it, I pick it up. In that moment, our eternity is set, we are saved, we are born again, all of the other ways that you want to say it, and our eternity is changed, our life is changed. But if nothing happens after that, I wonder if this experience, if this, if this decision ever really took place. Think about it. Sitting on the side of that airplane, waiting Looking down 11,000 feet, saying, okay, I've got to make a decision. <laughs> I'm either going to go or I'm going to wimp out. I'm going to go. And so you make that decision in a split second, but then you lean forward and you begin this free fall that is incredible. And you have this wonderful experience that you've never experienced before. Folks, this is so much like being a Christian. Okay? It starts with a decision where you put your faith and trust in Jesus. But folks, if that's real, if that happens, if that's really and truly what happens in our lives, it'll change everything. It changes the way we think. One of my favorite songs we used to play here was uh, uh, From the Inside Out. Because it talks about how God changes us from the inside out. It's not all about us trying to be good now. Now that I've received Christ as my Savior, I'm just going to really try harder. I'm going to try harder to be good. It's not just about that. We do need to try hard to be good, but it's about Jesus changing me from the inside out. There's things that bother me now that didn't used to bother me about me, not about other people, about me. When I sin now, I feel really bad about it instead of going, yeah, I got away with another one. That was all right. You know? It, it, just, it's all, it all affects me differently. It's all changed because salvation is not just, just a decision while it starts that way. But it has to always work out as an experience with God. So I want to challenge you. I, didn't, I don't want you to come today and go, wow, he really tried to make me doubt my salvation. That's what I'm, I'm trying to do. In fact, we're going to talk about that part here in just a second. But if you look at your life and you say, you know, nothing's really changed since I prayed that prayer when I was 10 or 12 or 15 or whatever. I really want you to evaluate. Did I just go through the motion or did something really happen there? Did something really change there? There are also some ramifications of salvation. This could be a whole sermon series in itself, but let's just talk about a couple of big ones here. First, we become a member of God's family. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, here's what it says. But to all who did not receive him, who believed in his name, sorry, but to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is what he talks about being born again. I know for sure, absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that every single one of you in this room has been born once. I know that. What he's talking about is, you have to be born again spiritually. Oh, everybody's already been born physically, but we have to be born again spiritually. And what he's saying in this passage is, listen, uh, when we receive Christ as our Savior, when we put all our eggs in that basket, when we make that decision, we get birthed into God's family. What? I I thought we were all children of God. Nope, we're not. Now you can see commercials out there and and all these um, uh, public service announcements, you know, take care of one another because we're all children of God. No, we aren't. No, we are not. In fact, Jesus said several times to his disciples, you're you're of your father, the devil. Because they were acting out. They were acting up. He said, you're acting like your father right now. You ever been told you're acting like your father? Man, I hate that. But especially when your father is the devil. This verse is saying, folks, when, when we were born into our families physically, but when we receive Christ as our Savior, we are born into God's family. We are birthed into it. It's not a club we're joining. It's not a, 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 even a faith that we're, we're embracing. You're being birthed into a family, the family of God. And, of course, that means that everybody in the world is a part of one of two families. We'll talk about that in your, uh, in your community group this week. We also see another ramification is that the Holy Spirit indwells us. What it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Listen, when we gave our lives to Jesus, when we became a Christian, when we got born again, the Holy Spirit came in to possess us. Have you ever seen a scary movie where somebody's demon-possessed? We're God-possessed. Doesn't mean that God just influences us from the outside and tries to, to change our path, which he does some of that. But the most that God really tries to do is he tries to influence us from the inside. When the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us, indwells us, he is trying to influence us and, and do things from the inside out. He even gives us spiritual gifts to edify and uplift the church. And all that comes from the Holy Spirit. He comes and lives within us. We also see one of the ramifications of salvation is that our natures battle within us. You might say, well, with the Holy Spirit in us, we should just stop sinning, right? Well, let's look and see what Paul said in Romans. He said, for I do not understand my own actions. Anybody ever been there? (laughs) For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, is it no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me? If I ask you the question, how many of you uh, wanted last year, in 2015, how many of you wanted to have a quiet time every single day? Probably get a lot of hands. How many of you did it? Didn't miss a day. 
single day. Probably not too many hands. Right? Look, what Paul's saying here, and we're in good company, what Paul's saying here is, look, guys, everything I want to do, I just don't seem to be able to do at times. And the things I don't want to do, the things I'm trying not to do, are the things I, very things I find myself doing. It's like, what's wrong with me? You ever feel that way? What is wrong with me? Why do I keep doing those stupid things? Why do I not do those things when I know they're so good for me? Why do I not get up every morning at 6 o'clock and, and spend an hour praying and reading the Bible and spending an hour with God and, 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 and just telling Jesus he, my whole day is his and I'm with him? And Why do I not do that? I want to. I want to. Why do I not act selfless in every single situation? I really want to. I just don't seem to be able to do it. Well, that's because there's a reality that takes place. Even though the Holy Spirit lives in us, the reality is our humanness, our sinfulness, is still a part of our lives. And the Holy Spirit, on one, you know, it's kind of like this theological, big theological idea that is played out in every sitcom at one point or another. Uh, you know, the, the, the Satan on one shoulder and a, an angel on the other shoulder, it's kind of true theologically. Because our sinfulness, our, our humanness, is warring uh, all the time with our spirit, with God's spirit in us. Paul's saying, look, I want, my mind and my heart are right. I want to do the things God wants. I'm, I, I want to. And then he says, but while I live in this body, I just can't seem to master it. It just seems to do the wrong things. So we need to understand that that's one of the ramifications of salvation. We are now in this battle for ourselves in a way. And you can talk about that in your community groups also this week. That'll be a good discussion to have on how that kind of works out. Now, if I put you in a position of maybe doubting if you're truly saved or not, or said, you know, I don't get those ramifications. I don't know if I've, I've got the decision, but I don't know if I've really had any experience with Jesus changing me. Let's talk for a minute about this. Biblical salvation cannot be lost. Biblical salvation cannot be lost. I'm going to give you three reasons why. First one is, eternal life has already begun. Listen, eternal life is not something I'm going to get. It's something I already have. I don't know what it's like yet. I haven't leaped off that, that uh, airplane yet. But somehow in that moment... I'm going to close my eyes, take my last breath, and I'm going to, you know, hopefully just a blink, and I'm going to leave this world, and I'm going to be in the presence of God. But look what the Bible says here, and notice the tense of the words, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you may guess, that you may hope, that you may keep your fingers crossed and hope beyond hope, but so that you may know that you have eternal life. Folks, eternity has already started. For those of us who, who are Christians, the moment we receive Christ as our Savior, our eternal life began. I don't know what it's going to be like exactly, but I know that something's going to happen the moment I'm in a better way, in a better place, with better surroundings. And so eternity has already begun. We see it several places in this, in this passage that the tense is, he's given it already. We've already received it. We also want you to see that Jesus keeps us. 
Look at John chapter 10. This is Jesus talking. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Did you ever play that game with your dad where he'd put a dollar or some coins or something in his hand and you'd try to get it open? I try really hard to, maybe we're the only weird ones that ever did this. You know, I try really hard to get one finger open and then I get the other finger open and then he'd kind of move his hand around a little bit and he'd be back closed or, and I, you just can't get it out of his hand. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look, you guys, when it comes to my sheep's eternity, I'm holding them with a clenched fist. I'm holding them with a clenched fist just like this. Nobody, nobody is going to take them out of my hand. And by the way, Father's holding him too. And nobody's going to get him out of the Father's hand because the Father and I are the same. We're one. So you can't, you, you just can't get him out of here. You can't do anything to get him out of my hand. The last thing I want you to see is this. Jesus not only keeps us, but the Holy Spirit seals us. In Ephesians chapter 1. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Folks, we have been sealed and given a guarantee by the Holy Spirit. Now listen, this is not like a worldly guarantee. Okay? Anybody who's got a business can you know, slap a guarantee on the side of a box. There you go, guarantee. But you try to return something to them that you don't think works, and that guarantee doesn't work so well. I, I trust the Holy Spirit's guarantee. And what the Holy Spirit's saying is, look, Jesus holds you tightly, and then I put saran wrap around it. I seal it. I make sure that nobody can get in there. It's sealed. It is done. There's nothing you can do about it. By the way, there are sects of Christians who believe that we can't sin enough or be bad enough or whatever to lose our salvation, but we can give it back. We can disown it. You can be, you can be bad enough that your parents would like to disown you, but you can't be bad enough. Not, you, can't even, you can't even legally go and get their names taken off of your birth certificate. You know that? can't do that. Now, they may disown you, in the flesh, but it, they're still your parents. You can't get unborn. And that's why Jesus talked about being born again, because when you're born into his family, you can't get unborn. Oh, we can disappoint God. We can humiliate him. We can embarrass him. I've done them all. But we can't be unborn. And if you think that somewhere in the Bible, there's a little, there's a little footnote that says, yeah, but we can, we can give it back. I can choose to disown him. That means our salvation is dependent on our sanity. Think about it for a minute. I drive down my street. I see that my house is burned to the ground. My wife, my kids, and my grandkids are all inside. And in that moment, I lose control. I, I rip my shirt and I say, God, after everything I've done for you, this is how you repay me? This is what you do to me? I disavow you. I hate you. Get out of my life. I don't ever want to be a part of anything you do ever again. In that moment, if I lose my salvation, then it's always dependent on my sanity. 
Folks, find that in the scripture. It's not there. It's just not there. Okay? When we are born into God's family, we can disappoint him, we can humiliate him, we can frustrate him greatly. But we can never be unborn. I think it's very clear. Listen, we didn't do anything to get saved. How are we going to do anything to get unsaved? I didn't do anything to get born to my parents. How am I going to get unborn? Can't. But I also want you to see that obedience brings about the feeling of assurance. The feeling of assurance. Now listen, we don't live by feelings because our feelings lie to us a lot. We don't want to live by our feelings or be driven by our feelings. We're going to be driven by our decisions. But I want us to understand that we have the opportunity to affect, to affect our feeling of being assured of our salvation. And here's how. And by this we know that we have come to know him. You want to know if you know him or not? Here's how. If we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Here's the point. One of the things that brings about assurance for us is seeing that change of life. If you you just go back to that decision when you were 10 and nothing's ever changed in your life, you, you ought to be a little freaked out and afraid, maybe a little bit unsure. But listen, if your life has been drastically changed, if your life has been just totally turned upside down by your relationship with God, then that's pretty good confirmation that that decision I made back when I was 12 had some oomph to it. So had some reality to it. Listen, if I, I think about this sometimes. If I had never come to know Christ as my Savior, and I stayed with the friends I had and, and in the places I had was going and doing the things I was doing and the family that I was in, all those things, my life would be a wreck. I mean, I mean it won't just be like, I mean, I still have problems. You all know that. Anybody who knows me knows that. But I will, it wouldn't just have some problems. It would be an absolute train wreck. Uh, you know, who knows how bad it would be. <laughs> and, and so I look back and I go, wow, look how Jesus has changed that. Look what I spend my time doing. Look what I spend uh, my money doing. Uh, look what I spend my life doing. Look what I spend my influence doing. Look at everything that I do now compared to what I would be doing if I didn't know Jesus. And it is a drastic drastic, drastic difference. That doesn't save me. That just is evidence that perhaps what happened when I was 12 really happened. And I think it did. I'm sure of it. Now, I can't read anybody else's heart. I am 100% sure of my salvation. And I know people can be uh, 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 seriously religious for a long time and then not really be uh, a Christian. But here's what I want you to do this week as you think about this sermon um, and you go to your community groups, which we're going to discuss this in our community groups this week. Um, I want you to think back, and I'm not, I'm not doing this in a way to challenge you about your salvation. Just, just look back and evaluate a little bit. 
did your, did your uh, decision, uh, has that affected your experience of life? If it hasn't, I think you should explore that a little more. And if you want to talk about that, just put that on the back of your connection card. We'll, we'll talk to you about that. If you look back and you go, yeah, that really has changed my life. I can, I can see that my, my decision to follow Jesus has changed my life drastically. I, I just live totally different now. Then I think that's, that's proof, you know, proof is in the pudding. But I also want all of us to have fewer and fewer doubts. Okay? There's, there's a lot of times when I doubt that I'm being a very good son to God. In fact, I know I'm not because of what Paul said. But I never doubt that he's my father. I, I just, I, I've, I've, maybe I'm just that old. I don't know. <laughs> I just never doubt it anymore because I know he's my father. Because he even disciplines me when I'm messing up. And I know that only good dads do that. So folks, I want to do a couple things with today. I wanted it to First of all, if anybody here has not made that decision, if they have sat on the side of the plane looking down and they've never actually leaned forward and accepted Christ as their Savior, I want to encourage you to do it today. I want you to encourage you to do that today. And you can begin it very simply by praying. Saying, God, I, I, I believe that stuff Michael was talking about. I believe I'm a sinner. I, I believe there's no way I can get out of that or, or, or fix it myself. I do believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins, and I want to, to exchange pages, uh, paper with him. I want him to take my cruddy old wadded-up paper, and I want to take his perfect piece of paper. I believe that, and I'm giving my life to it. You can do that just by making a simple prayer like that. That's the decision. But folks, and by the way, you can do that decision kind of in isolation, just you and God. But you cannot follow him well in isolation. You have to do that in community. That's the way God's built us. That's the way God has designed us. And so I want to encourage us all uh, to, to live out our faith in greater ways. Live out our faith being connected to a Bible-believing local church. If this is not your church, find a church that's, that's you know, just right for you. And if you're still looking or hopping or whatever you're doing, um, find a good Bible-believing church and say, this is where I'm going to plant my flag. I, I want to grow with these people. I want to I I experience this life change with these people as we live in community together. And then get involved in a community group. Give them that wonderful name for a reason. But folks, I want us to be solid on this. I want us to be solid on this. We have got to know how to block this way. Because we are around people all the time, all the time, that need to hear this. And I don't want you to just sit in the seat and say, amen, yes, I believe that, Pastor Michael. But I want you to go, hey, I can tell, I can tell my neighbor about this. Hey, I can tell my mom and dad about this. Hey, I can share this with my coworkers. Hey, I can share this with everybody around me. That's what I hope we learn to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that guides us and teaches us so clearly. Father, we are so thankful for our salvation. We have done nothing, nothing to earn it. In fact, God, we acknowledge that all we have earned is separation from you. And so we are thankful. We are so thankful that you, in your grace and love for us, sent your son Jesus to die for us. God, help us never get over that. 
Help us not take that for granted. Help us to realize that this is the foundation of our faith. And it's the beginning of faith for others. Father, help us to not only uh, think back to that decision, but to embrace the transition that takes place, the transformation that takes place in our lives. God, use this morning's service and sermon to, to help us just be more solid in our understanding of this. Father, help us to do the work of the ministry to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.